1: Every time.
2: A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1.
0: On our latest foray into the podcasting medium, we're talking what we liked about the latest Infinity War trailer, a review of Tomb Raider, and how are gamers reacting to the Battle Royale genre invading their mobile phones. All this and more as we once again delve into...
3: We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected
2: or is no longer in service.
0: The Pop Culture Cosmos.
3: Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos.
0: And we're back for another edition of the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We cannot thank you enough for stopping by and checking out our show, but it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He is the head fire chief, putting out all those fires at Humanica Media. You got to check out all the great things going on with Humanica Media at HumanicaMedia.com, Humanica Media on YouTube, and Humanica Media on Facebook and Twitter. But I want to actually say also as well, a happy one-year anniversary to his YouTube channel. It's Josh Peterson. Happy anniversary, my friend.
4: Thanks. I actually wasted all the fireworks before the show. Um, Dropped the candle. My bad. So you guys missed that. I'm sorry. But it's great to
0: have you again, my friend, here on the Pop Culture Cosmos, as always. It's going to be another great show indeed. We've got Rob McCallum standing by in the Cosmic Crossfire. He's going to be talking about the Star Wars The Last Jedi Blu-ray release that's upcoming. He's got some things to say about what some of the features are within that Blu-ray coming out. Plus, also as well, we've got... Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. He is stopping by later in the show as well to talk NFL free agency, all the moves, and which ones he likes and which ones he didn't like so much, and which teams have really made out so far this offseason, and which ones have kind of not exactly stood up to the test when it comes to how they're progressing this offseason. He's going to be a bye later in the episode to talk about that. But first, we got a lot to talk about when it comes to the movies, but I want to ask you first, Josh, we didn't get a chance to touch on this in our last episode, the PC Multiverse, but wanted to make sure that we at the Pop Culture Cosmos pay our respects to probably one of the greatest minds ever in humanity, Stephen Hawkins, who passed away this past week. What are your thoughts on Stephen Hawking's and and all of his great ideas and, and all the great things he did for us as as you know as a race as a species as you know basically as a culture as well?
4: Yeah, no, it's a bummer that he's gone. It's it's weird that everybody all of a sudden like I wonder how many times he got Googled on the day that he died so that people could figure out what exactly he did. Cause I'm like I'm you know I go across some some of my news feeds and I see people who are like they're they're not the sharpest tools in the shed. So Stephen Hawking is like the last person on Earth I I would expect them to know about. But yeah, man, no, it's sad. It's a uh, it's a shame that like he became almost a part of like meme culture and like it's just bad in bad taste. A lot of that stuff. But he's a really he's a smart dude, and I just I you know I always like wonder like what he could have done had he not been confined to his wheelchair
0: and stricken with ALS uh as far as that's concerned in fact he is believed to be the person that has survived the longest I think by far with the dreaded the disease ALS commonly known as the Lou Gehrig's disease
4: you know it's sad I'm not like up on my Stephen Hawking's research or anything but like I I respect what he did and I know he um he's you know very very smart guy. We don't really have a lot of uh, minds like that around anymore. So we'll, he'll he'll definitely be missed. He definitely
0: will be, and his theories uh, are going to be standard reading for anybody who wants to deal with a- anything as far as from uh, outer space. You know, obviously his his theories on black holes are, are standard reading as well, and just basically all the ideas that he proposed and and that he wanted for mankind. As far as how we should go about our way of life, you know, th- those ideas hopefully will stay with us forever and ever. And he will be missed and our thoughts and our, our love send out to his family as far as it's concerned. And and definitely a Godspeed to you. And then may you, you know, space travel to you and, and may you reach the cosmos that you wish to go to Stephen Hawking. So rest in peace. And on that note, we just want to say thank you again for stopping by the Pop Culture Cosmos. The Avengers Infinity War trailer, the second one, the one that's designed to say, hey, tickets are available right now for pre-order for the upcoming April 27th debut of Infinity War. And the trailer came out. And i tell you what, Josh, this is how you sell a trailer, my friend. I don't, I don't think there's anybody out there that wasn't excited even more so for infinity war after seeing this latest trailer
4: i'm sorry what trailer
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, There was this little one it's, it's in this uh indie film it's um it's called um iron man's last stand Um, and where's hawkeye i think was the double feature
4: yeah it's that low budget double feature um anyways uh <laughs> i am stoked i am definitely interested i watched the trailer probably about three times that day it came out
0: well then you're three times behind me because i've watched it at least seven or eight times already myself
4: whoa 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 what is this uh bragging rights here no i i'm excited man i, I you know i haven't like this is a big big film and my only concern is that like there's There's going to be so much in it that they're not going to get the chance to properly give everybody their due course on screen. Because from what I understand, according to the Russos, Thor is the character to be watching in Infinity War because Thor and the Hulk have a pretty big story arc, which I hope is true because it seems like, you know, as much as I liked Ragnarok, like they kind of made a joke out of Thor in that movie. So I hope to get him back into his more serious persona in this one. But um, I don't
0: want him spouting off Shakespeare again. I don't want him going back to that. No, I kind of liked him as Ragnarok Thor.
4: Yeah, no, I get that. But like, again, like his comic books, they're they're dark. Like he was always. I mean, he doesn't spout Shakespeare in the comic books. I don't know why they did that in the movies. But his his comic books are 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 dark and they're serious. And like he. He's the one of the Avengers that I mean, in Ultimate Comics, they kind of made him into like the buddy Thor. But like in the normal Thor comics, he's not the you know, he's not the uh, lethal weapon uh, Mel Gibson, Danny Glover persona that they gave him in Thor Ragnarok. But I digress. My concern is that there's going to I'm I I trust Kevin Feige. I trust he knows what he's doing because he's you know, he hasn't let us down yet, but um. You know, there's just, there's so much going on. I just, I'm I'm curious like how they're going to, because it looks like there's different things taking place all over the universe in this at the same time. So I just, I, I hope that doesn't get so busy that it becomes hard to follow.
0: Well, that's the advantage of already knowing as an audience that there is going to be a second part to this next year, that they don't have to complete everything with this first film. And that's what I like already is the fact that okay, it's not going to leave us hanging in suspense. Well, actually it probably will leave us hanging in suspense, wanting us to get a hold of the next movie next year. But what I'm saying is that we don't go in knowing that there's not going to be a completion or a second part to this part of the Marvel cinematic universe.
4: The trick here is going to be knowing where it's going to split. So obviously Ant-Man and Wasp are next. So, where is this going to take place? Is it going to take place in the aftermath of some kind of tragedy that we're bound to witness at the end of Infinity War? I, we do know that Captain Marvel goes back to the 90s, so we don't like we know where that stands in the timeline. And did you see the pictures of uh, uh, Nick Fury uh, getting his scroll on?
0: Yeah, I did. Unfortunately, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they will not go ahead with that. I'm hoping that will he will not be a scroll. I'm hoping that he will not have that added to his character because it just really just because Nick Fury is one of my favorite characters and I really don't want him to be a scroll, uh, even though the writing appears to be on the wall but let's go back to what we're seeing in Infinity War. I do know that the Russo brothers did say that Ant-Man and the Wasp will tie in somehow to the Infinity War in some form or fashion obviously they it needs it in my opinion as far as a tie-in is concerned because i believe there is no other marvel film between ant-man and the wasp and the second part of infinity war is that correct
4: right because the second part of infinity war is may 2019 if i remember correctly
0: yeah and captain marvel is coming out after that if i'm not mistaken so that being the case. obviously Ant-Man and the Wasp has to tie in somehow to both those films. So definitely interested to see that part of it. But getting back to the trailer, I think you hit it right in the head when you're saying along with the Russos that Hulk is a main character, because if you see from the trailers, Bruce Banner not only appears at the resonance and domain of Dr. Strange, he also appears in the trailer in Wakanda. He is going to be definitely a key character, Bruce Banner slash Hulk, as far as how he's involved, how he gets from the ship that was Asgard, for all intents and purposes, and how he gets to, actually, he gets to Doctor Strange's first, and somehow he gets transported over to Wakanda, I think, obviously, by airship there. But you see what I'm saying? He he is going to play such an integral role, and I, I definitely agree with you on that assessment.
4: Yeah, he's in a lot of scenes. I hope that if they're going to be closing his story arc, I hope that you know they give us some kind of closure with him and Black Widow because that's just been going on forever. Okay, so we've been reading all these um conspiracy things about Hawkeye what he's doing. The Russo say he's off having his own adventure during this film. So he's going to be in it, but there's something secret that they're keeping from us. So the theories are that like he's he's searching for the Soul Stone or he's um you know he's doing some kind of secret mission for captain america or something but i think personally that the little flowers that give black panther his abilities i think that whatever creates those i think it's the soul stone because that's what i'm assuming is going to is what gives him the the ability to see get to the ancestral plane to see the souls of his lost ancestors so, so
0: you think they're not only fighting for vision who it appears survives whatever entity uh, from the Black Order tries to go ahead and steal the stone initially in one of those the shots in the first trailer and that he survives so, somehow that attack and gets transported along with several of the other Avengers to Wakanda along with Bruce Banner, Black Widow, Captain America, who's Nomad or you know, whatever he's called now, to fight that battle because you see a big climactic battle between the forces of Thanos and also the Wakandan warriors, Black Panther, Dora Milaje, you know, the whole nine yards there along with a lot of the Avengers, you see that climactic battle. So you think it's not just for to protect Vision, but you also think it's to protect the Soul Stone as well, correct?
4: Yeah, I think the Soul Stone is in Wakanda. Otherwise, there wouldn't be such a huge need to have such a, an epic showdown in Wakanda. So I'm, and if you, I saw like some little concept pictures of uh, Black Panther's sister holding something that looks like a flower, but it's not quite the flower. So I'm, I'm standing by that. You know, you can mark that down if you want to, and we'll, uh, (laughs) we'll talk about it afterwards. What I do want to talk about is Spider Man. We saw him in the trailer. And, you know, somehow he manages to get up to that big circle thing in the sky. What what part, what role does he play? Because we don't see him beyond that. So is he in space or on another planet with Iron Man and um, Chris Pratt? Or what, what is he doing during this movie? Because all we get to see of him are the scenes in the bus.
0: Because it shows him conversating with Chris Pratt, Doctor Strange, Drax, and also as well, Iron Man. In what many believe is Titan, the planet Titan where Thanos is from, because he's the Mad Titan, of course. So somehow they get transported on that ship to Titan, it looks like. We're not sure. Obviously, because of from all appearances, whatever they do, they end up having a battle with him on another planet. So very, very great analogy indeed, as far as what you're able to pick up on and what everybody out there else is picking up on when they watch the latest Marvel's Avengers infinity war trailer, which is out now, obviously trying to get you to buy your tickets, pre-order tickets early. I'm telling you like I did, I got my tickets already. We're all set to go because it actually, it already broke the pre-sale record for superhero movies within the first six hours of being announced. That's just such a great number indeed, as far as advanced sales for a superhero movie. And so you got to get your tickets right away. It is Marvel's Avengers Infinity War. It's coming out April the 27th. Cannot wait. Looking forward to it. Get your tickets right away. And definitely, we'll be talking a lot more about that in upcoming episodes indeed. Before we head on over to talk to Rob McCallum in the Cosmic Crossfire, Josh, I know you checked out Tomb Raider over the weekend. It placed number two, like what we were saying, about $24, $25 million this past weekend domestically. It's actually doing extremely well in China where it trounced Marvel's Black Panther, which was going on its second week, and unfortunately lost almost 90% of its first week income on there. And that's that's a shame to, to see that such a great movie is not playing well in China, but tomb raider debuted over 40 million dollars there it might actually look like it might break around 200 to 250 when it's all said and done as far as million dollars so it might actually kind of even come close to breaking even so i ask you josh you got a chance to check out the movie itself what were your thoughts on this 2018 iteration of the tomb raider film
4: I liked it and I didn't like it. I liked the fact that they were true to the character's origins and uh, I mean more true truer to the uh video game than ever before. What I was disappointed by was that they kind of they took the plot and they just they dumbed it down so much for the audiences and I I you know I totally get why they did that but there was so much mythology there in the first game that they could have run with they took the character and um you know i don't want to spoil anything they they just kind of like made it they simplified it they changed the character to make it or they changed the uh himiko the the queen uh of on the island they took her character and they kind of dumbed her story down to make it more comprehensible to audiences and i like i said you know i get why they did it but i just wish that they would have explored that a little differently because you know at the end of the day i don't know who they're making a tomb raider for do you are they making it for a broad audience or that or are they making it for fans of the game you know it's the same thing could be said about comic book movies but you know there's just there was so much there in the first game like vogel's descent into madness and the uh the undead warriors of the that were there protecting the queen that could have been explored and they didn't really give you any of that in this movie they kept it a little more grounded. Which, um, you know, again, I see why they did it, but I've just, you know, that was one of the things that was really cool to me about Tomb Raiders, that they always had that that supernatural aspect. And this one was less supernatural, more down to earth, more explainable.
0: Well, that's, that sounds like pretty much par for the course as far as their views are, are pretty much across the board. They're kind of mixed, so definitely that seems to fall right in. Like I said, if at best it looks like it's going to do between two hundred and two hundred and fifty million dollars worldwide, maybe even a little better, but with the high cost, of about a close to a hundred million dollars as far as production costs concerned, got to look be maybe at best breaking even, which is still, in my opinion, not going to break that video game movie curse quite just yet. But maybe next time, go around with with another great video game idea maybe we can go ahead with that and and hope that that will finally break the video game movie curse.
4: I feel like it's a step in the right direction though. It's not getting like universally bashed like most of the other ones do.
0: This is true. This is true. So it can only go up from here. What are your thoughts on Tomb Raider and the Marvel Avengers Infinity War trailer that was just released this past Friday? Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, like I said, we've got Rob McCallum standing by on the Cosmic Crossfire. He's going to be talking about the Last Jedi Blu-ray release and about some of the details behind it, what he's interested in. But first, before we head to break, want to give a big shout out to our good friends, Mike Crockett and the Kingpin, Brian Malonis, want to congratulate them on 100 episodes of the Wrestling Podcast about nothing. If you want to know more about the pro wrestling world, you just check out their show each and every week. It's an awesome listen, and my congratulations to you both guys. Just appreciate the time that you've taken on this show to talk with us and appreciate the fact that you guys have been around for 100 great episodes, and I hope you guys stick around for a whole heck of a lot more. Once again, got Rob McCallum standing by, and later on, Tyler Baker coming up later in the broadcast as well. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. It's great to have everyone back on the show with the PCC Multiverse. But it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind RobMcCallumFilms.com. You gotta check out all the great things going on in the world of Rob McCallum. Because I've got him right here. It is Rob McCallum. There's a lot of stuff going on in the realm of pop culture. So pray tell Rob, what's going on in your world when it comes to
2: pop culture? Of course, we've got the obligatory discussion about The Last Jedi release. (laughs) Uh, It's out there digitally now, a couple weeks, uh, it comes out on Blu-ray. I was going to hold off on the Blu-ray, but I actually ended up uh, doing the digital purchase, mainly because of the bonus features, not because I was itching to see the film again. But it comes packed with a full feature-length documentary called The Director and the Jedi, which takes a look at the making of The Last Jedi, focusing on uh, Ryan Johnson and his team. And uh, there's another cool uh, feature that Ryan Johnson tweeted about because it's really hard to find and you wouldn't be able to look at it or notice that it's out there given just any kind of digital purchase or uh, disc purchase, and that's that there's a music-only cut of The Last Jedi featuring only... The score by John Williams. So there's no dialogue. There's no sound effects. There's no sound design. It's just the score. These are two kind of examples of features that are getting a lot of press and attention. So I thought, you know, should we talk about uh, the necessity for a whole media to have these extras? And and what's the role? And what do you think the importance is? Is it what it used to be? Doesn't matter.
0: Well, it was special at one point in time, I mean, when it was originally introduced and put out there and people love it. Now it just seems like it's necessity and it's only for those really grading the actual box set. Okay, what kind of features does it have? Does it have the obligatory documentary behind the scenes, extra deleted scenes, whatnot? Oh, well, it doesn't. Oh, well, it's not exactly a great Blu-ray to have. In this case, with with The Last Jedi, it looks like it's it's got a a great array of stuff as far as that's concerned, and people are making a what a fifteen twenty twenty five dollars sometimes even more dollar you know dollar investment in these Blu-rays and box sets and whatnot. I think you should as as people who are investing that kind of money should have that array of type of extra stuff because it, what what else is is the studio going to do with it just. And in the past years way back when when a long time ago they would just leave it on the country room floor they would throw it away they would dispose of it and when now there's actually a use for it and a way they can monetize all of it but no it does not have the special genesee quoi that it once had when they first started doing it you know back in the vhs tape a latter part of that era and then into the dvd market era
2: it uh this was the first time that i i made the the kind of choice because money's a little tighter on here with a newborn and you know the the blu-ray up here is in canada is going for 28 bucks and this was 20 dollars american so i saved a couple dollars i got it a little early i'm really more interested in the features than i am the film itself mainly because i've seen the film and as much as i'm a star wars fan and like a, a big kind of Believer in thinking and talking about the the trilogies and and the overall stories and i'm gonna get the blu-ray at some point for the collection so that if the internet dies or itunes you know explodes i can still find a way to watch the movie but i would have probably spent 20 bucks just to see this documentary anyways and that's kind of what convinced me and then that's what kind of led us to the topic today is like how important are, are these features and i think i think they're very important to extend the life The appreciation of the film, I was talking to my frequent collaborator, Jordan Morris, before you and I jumped on to do the show. And he said he had heard about the documentary, he hadn't seen it yet, but he thought that more than any other kind of special feature in any recent release for any recent film, this feels like it's almost a a complimentary companion piece that needs to get out there so that people can kind of understand what was going on. But he also said that it's Disney's attempt to fight some of the backlash that, uh, director Ryan Johnson and Disney received for choices made in the last Jedi. And I, I will say that this is not like a big PR film at all. Like early on, we hear Mark Hamill talk about, him not agreeing at all with what Ryan Johnson thinks about Luke and the direction he wants to go with Luke and the role of Luke Skywalker and even though Mark Hamill recently has said that he regrets saying such things and now understands that he is not the hero of the trilogy and that it's more about Rey and him being you know the dark side to her light and challenging her in that way and he understands that he regrets saying that and I think that's really a shame that he regrets that because you know truth is truth you feel something, you should get it out there and talk about it. I think, you know, he's a trooper for saying, you know, I disagree with everything you're doing, but of course I'm going to, you know, listen and follow your vision because that's what you do as an actor. You know, you trust the director. You have to you have to do what you can. But I don't think that this this documentary will change people's minds. I think it paints an overwhelming picture of what it's like to make a Star Wars movie in ways that no other behind the scenes feature I've seen for Star Wars has done yet. The closest came to on the Revenge of the Sith Blu-ray, there was Anatomy of a Scene, which is I think an hour or so long, where it looked at the the fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan, and they broke down everything that has to go into making that entire sequence, from pre-visual, pre-visualizations to you know the fight choreography, to costuming, to editing, to directing. It broke down everything, and it was really immersive in what it took to basically create those, you know, four minutes of cinema. This kind of does the same thing, but on a bigger scale. So you see everything in pre-production and the discussions that they're having in 2015 with Frank Oz coming to puppet Yoda, which is just mind blowing that that kind of secret had been out there for two and a half years before anybody kind of knew what was going on. So you get to see that kind of the whole journey from that all the way up to kind of the, the production wrap, so to speak. And as a guy who loves process and, and filming and documentaries, it, it was speaking my language. And there's parts of it that I like. I mean, as a whole, I probably watch this more than I'd watch The Last Jedi. So for me, the companion piece is the movie. The feature is the documentary. But I definitely urge people that are interested in how things happen to check it out. I don't think you're going to learn anything new by watching it in terms of what they thought the story was for Last Jedi or concerns you may have an appreciation for what it's like to make a film, but I don't think it's going to change your mind about The Last Jedi because it doesn't change The Last Jedi. Again, we talked about this, what, a couple shows ago about the deleted scenes. Are they canon? Are they not canon? Does does it change it? Does it change your perspective? Should it? Shouldn't it? This is a whole other entity. This is this takes place in our world, not the story world, not the diegetic universe of, of Star Wars. This is very non-diegetic. This is what it takes to execute this. And you may understand that making a film of this magnitude is is really big. Uh, at one point, the producer said making The Last Jedi was bigger than combining both The Force Awakens and Rogue One together. And one of the interesting stats that, that they mentioned was the, it, for this film, there were so many sets that had to be made that that's how they scheduled the film because they only had so much space. So they had to basically shoot set by set in order to clear them out, in order to... Basically finish the film on time versus scheduling per actor schedules, which is normally what happens. And there was a lot of budget talks like, can we afford this? Can we not afford this? You know, where do we got to cut back? Which is something you probably don't think about in a Star Wars Disney production. They've just got all the money in the universe. Well, this is not the case. So there's some very interesting things out there for filmmakers to check out or people that are interested in, in how movies get made. So definitely check that out. And I'm a huge fan of the music only cut. I haven't put it on yet. Is it worth the sign up price? which is basically free, but you've just got to sign up for the Disney Movies Anywhere app in order to access the feature. So I'll be doing that and hopefully it won't be a pain in the butt. But to have that on in the background, just listening to John Williams' score and seeing the the awesome visuals, which Last Jedi is full of, whether you like the story or not, it's beautifully shot and, and rendered. So I think the more that companies can do to create these uh, home media versions, the more people like myself will buy the actual product. And I think It's another way to elude piracy. I mean, if the feature's cooling off, it'll leak out there. But when you can get the film and the feature and these other little tidbits, hey, that's that's your monkey's uncle. That's why we packaged Nintendo Quest with two extra discs full of content and not just the film and everything on one disc. These days,
0: you've got to make stuff, like like I said, with piracy so rampant out, you've got to make stuff as enticing as possible for consumers to buy on a home video basis regardless of the opinion uh, that you might have on the film it's great if you give it a second look with the behind the scenes and all the other great uh, stuff that that's on it as well because it looks like that disney and uh, lucasfilm look like they went out of their way to go ahead and make it actually something worth keeping i agree so rob is always it's just great having you on and so glad again to have you a part
2: of the pop culture cosmos Pre-order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple-pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from robmccallumfilms.com. robmccallumfilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. Kitty Origins Evolutions drops March 30th, 2018.
0: And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Thank you so much for sticking around and enjoying the show. If for any reason you have a hard time figuring out where exactly our show plays, we're on online radio seven days a week. We're on a ton of online radio stations. You can check us out on stations like Airwave Radio in the UK, Good Talk Radio out of Arizona, The Podcast Radio Network, our original home, Gray Cloud Radio, Western Reserve Digital Broadcasting, IPMNation.com. And you got to check out all those great stations. We've actually got a listing on each and every day. They are available for our Monday show, the Pop Culture Cosmos, and our Friday show, the PCC Multiverse Those get replayed throughout the week on those great stations, and we've got a schedule listing at our Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook site, which you can check real easily. It's pinned right there for you. But you can also subscribe to any one of these great channels and download our shows at any time on Apple Podcasts, the WeebieGeekPC.com network. We're just so, so happy to be part of that great network. Also as well, Podbean, Podchaser, Podcast.com, the Tangible Network, Gunna Geek Network, ESO Network, Stitcher, Google Play, Mixcloud, and a ton, absolute ton, more download networks that allow you to download our shows at any point in time. And if you do subscribe and download to our shows, we throw in a little bit of something each and every episode. This week we've got the Cubby Hole from our good friend from Voice from the Underground, Jason Mummert. He and I talk about fantasy baseball, and I'm going to throw a little bit of 15 minutes on there for you as a kind of a teaser, so you check out his show, Cubby Hole, if you're really into fantasy baseball. But Josh right here has a great thing going on with Humanica Media. So Josh, please tell everyone out there what's upcoming with your great network known as Humanica Media.
4: Tonight, you can catch a brand new Topicocalypse going up here shortly, and then Monday night, you can catch a brand new episode of What About This? Followed by a brand new episode of the Super B.S. Games Cast on Thursday. And as always, you can catch our show on the Podcast Radio Network every Tuesday nights.
0: That's indeed correct. It is 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network, where you can also catch our shows, the Podcast Radio Network, 10 p.m. Eastern Monday nights, and also as well on Friday nights, the PCC Multiverse at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific the number one and two shows on the Podcast Radio Network. And we're grateful to each and every network we are on. And hopefully we'll be adding some more in the near future just to make sure you have plenty of options out there. So Josh, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of games that are coming out this week. We got a lot of really pretty promising games that are coming out, including, well, for instance, if you got a 3DS, you want to go with Detective Pikachu Then you've got the kind of indie game, A Way Out, a great co-op game that looks to be very promising indeed. Attack on Titan 2, looking forward to that one that's coming available this week. Even Nino Kuni 2, that sequel is coming out finally after delays of that game, because that's a sequel to a very, very good game. But the big game, I think, that's gotten the most hype out of all the games coming out this week, and like I said, there are a few, Sea of Thieves is coming out, which is, to me, a return to Rare, the company that was such a a dominant force in the business for so long that kind of got away from that for different reasons. They, They kind of got into doing some other stuff as far as the video game industry is concerned that maybe didn't showcase their best skills. But they are coming out with Sea of Thieves, finally coming out of beta and all that. So, Josh, it is coming out for PC and Xbox One. This is supposed to be one of the marquee games of the year for Xbox One and a reason why people should go out and buy an Xbox One. Will it be that marquee title that you, I, and everybody else is hoping for that can really boost the Xbox One sales?
4: I hope so, I because I, I did Xbox Games Pass, so that I'm supposed to be able to have access to that on day one, but... I've got some buddies who want to play it and they're you know they're they're just about as excited about it as I am. You know, the fact that you can basically team up with your friends and crew a pirate ship and go around and run into other people who are playing pirates and there's there's missions to do and you can attack uh, enemy boats, but I think the one thing that it has working against it is the fact that there is no single player on here. You can play it by yourself, but you have to always be with people. Like there's no there's no story to go through. Like with Elder Scrolls Online, you can, you know, there's always people on the map, but there's a point to the game. Like there's a beginning and there's an end. And, you know, there's all the extra side quests. So if See of Thieves can do that correctly and keep you keep like the the single player enthralled in it without having to uh, you know, spend hours trying to find a crew and trying to get out there and do quests or the quest level base, we don't know yet. You know, if they can find a way to make it playable to the average you know lonely joe i think that it could be the flagship game that microsoft needs especially since you know they don't have they don't have a lot of exclusives especially recently that's been something of a driving force for the xbox you know playstation has done okay with that despite not giving dates on anything but xbox really doesn't have anything now i know people are excited about these announcements for fable but between now and the holidays because we don't know what's being announced at e3 so between now and the holidays sea of thieves it it has to do well if they want to keep people interested in the xbox between now and e3 christmas whatever it's sea of thieves has has got to pull through and i think that it will because when we're at e3 people seemed excited about it so you know i'm hoping it's good man do you have any intention on playing it
0: I, I actually do. I actually am thinking about getting the Xbox Game Pass just for it, so we'll have to wait and see. Maybe may be interested in going ahead and, and going out on a, on a cruise with you on that as far as seeing if we can go ahead and, and sink some other ships and getting some treasure and all that stuff. So that sounds like a good plan indeed, but yes, I agree with you. This has to be a home run for them they are losing ground quickly to the Nintendo switch and they're, they've always, or or they've already lost a substantial amount of ground to the PlayStation 4, which is coming out with the next God of war very soon. And also it, it just really at this point in time is a make or break year for the Xbox one. If they want to go ahead and still continue with the Xbox one format, or if they have to ditch it and go in another direction, because I tell you what it, You're right, it's all about exclusives. Xbox One really hasn't had that many exclusives to get all riled up for. So it's at this point that they need to go ahead and start taking whatever exclusives that they have and trying to see if they can push them forward and really make them something special. And hopefully they can get the kind of interest that a lot of these other games that have taken note recently, like Fortnite, PUBG, and what have you, that that really have been getting the press lately, and hopefully they can grab some of that, you w- know, when it releases this week and going forward. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I still have my high hopes it We'll definitely uh, give it a shot and see if we can go ahead and maybe even stream some action some point down the road as well. Any last thoughts on it?
4: Yeah. So you know what I noticed with Fortnite and PUBG is that players love customization, and so if see if these can deliver some sort of customization as far as you know your character build, your clothes, your ship, what you do. You know, as a crew, your what kind of flag you're flying. I think that it it does have the ability to possibly compete with some of these games. So we'll just have to wait and see. I'm sure people will get burnt out on PUBG and uh, Fortnite here soon, but I Thieves, don't
0: know. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show.
4: But Sea of Thieves, man, like I, yeah, I hope it. I hope it competes because it does. It does look fun.
0: It does look fun and it does look like a good time, so let's hope the reviews come out that are strong and let's hope the word of mouth that comes along with it will be just as strong, too. What are your thoughts on Sea of Thieves as it hits the Xbox One this week or any of the other games that are being released, including Nino Kuni 2, Attack on Titan 2, Detective Pikachu, or also as well, A Way Out. Any of these games, please, if you want to talk about them at all, have you played them, you enjoy them, you don't enjoy them, share us your thoughts on any one of these games or Sea of Thieves, which is coming out, Pop Culture Cosmos at yahoo.com, also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanity Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. So when we come back, we've got Tyler Baker standing by from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. He's going to be talking and breaking down the winners and losers so far in NFL free agency. And after that, speaking of PUBG and Fortnite, we're going to be talking about how, how they hit the mobile phone industry hard, and I'm talking about really, really big time, and if this is something that really will set the tone for the future for games like this. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos.
2: Hey everyone, it's Rob McCallum, and I'm back with a new series that centers on the world of crowdfunding. I call it Backed or Busted. It's real simple. Every week I take a Shark Tank-like look at live campaigns on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and determine if they should be backed or if they're busted. If they should be backed, then I invest in the project, plunk down real money, and become a backer. If the project doesn't cut it, then it gets no love from me and I label it busted for the entire world to see. In addition, you'll discover amazing new projects, inventive products, creative endeavors, and you'll see what works and what doesn't work in the multi-billion dollar crowdfunding industry that makes turning your dream project into a reality more than possible. So check out Backed or Busted episodes at facebook.com slash backed or busted crowdfunding. And if you want me to help your campaign become truly awesome, send me a message. That's backed or busted at facebook.com slash backed or busted crowdfunding.
0: That's right. You heard the whistle, and it's that time again. That time to talk some football because, well, at this time, I don't really want to talk about NCAA basketball. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Virginia. Thanks a lot.
3: <laughs> thanks, Virginia.
0: Exactly, and and Arizona too. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. need I forget yeah. them? Yeah, but again, you, again, it's a it's a great time for football for all of us who uh-huh. have had. Blown up brackets because it is NFL free agency. It's going hot and heavy, wild everywhere. Players are going from uh, this team to that team with such abandon. But we want to break down the winners and losers of NFL free agency. And there's no one better to break it down with us than the man behind the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. When it comes back on the airwaves, you gotta check it out on Apple Podcasts and so many other
3: outlets. It's my good friend, it is Tyler Baker. Hey buddy, how you doing? Uh, NCAA aside, how you doing? Uh I'm
0: still I'm still <laughs> feeling it. I'm feeling it, man. As I said on my own personal Facebook, that sound you heard. Uh, As far as it sounded like an explosion in the distance, that was my bracket blowing up on Thursday and Friday, so...
3: (laughs) I think that was a collective boom. A lot of brackets were blown up this weekend. It's March Madness in the NCAA. It's been March Madness in the NFL, too. The start of the new league year, which means guys that are free agents are officially free agents and free to sign with basically the highest bidder, unless you're Drew Brees. And there were some winners. There were some losers. But I think it was just a lot of guys switching teams. It seemed like there was just a lot of just – Moving pieces, teams wanting to make changes, but very few teams, I think, so far in free agency have have made huge moves. It seems like just a lot of juggling. Just a lot of juggling,
0: a lot of lateral movement back and forth, but no one seemingly on the surface getting that much better. In fact, we'll start with the marquee names as far mm. as free agency out there, as far as the position that everybody seems to talk about and the one that seems to pay out the most money, and that's the quarterback position. Yes. I know someone that was near and dear to your heart, Kirk Cousins, mm. yeah, was commanding a huge salary bigger than anything out and and talking about 5 years. Now, he ultimately didn't get that, but a change in scenery to a quality playoff team like the Minnesota Vikings
3: might pay off for them down the road. Absolutely. And Kirk Cousins got a contract that you just don't see. It's fully guaranteed. You don't see fully guaranteed contracts to any player at any positions. Kirk Cousins, that's what he wanted. That's what he got. But he
0: got less years for it. I think that was the trade off.
3: Yeah, yeah. But now he's playing with a Minnesota team that was really good last year. And I think they're going to be really good again this year. They got uh, Kirk Cousins. They also got Trevor Seaman kind of to back them up. But that team, you are talking about great, great offensive weapons. Dalvin Cook, I think, is is, is, is a phenomenal athlete. A couple really good receivers there. Minnesota's going to be very, very tough to beat. I think you have to count them in the winning column. Another team that I think got better is the Philadelphia Eagles. They stacked up on the defensive line. That was already a really good defense on a Super Bowl-winning team. They look like they are just – they're, they're going to be a handful to any team in the NFC East. They're going to be an absolute handful with that defensive line. I think – the San Francisco 49ers now they picked up Jerick McKinnon, and I think that's a very, very good fit for that Kyle Shanahan offense. Uh, I would put them in the winning category, but as far as fantasy purposes, it's difficult to really draw too many conclusions right now. We still have the NFL draft coming up, and depending on what teams do in the draft is really going to affect fantasy value. So, So, I don't want to You know, really look at any of these teams and say, hey, for fantasy purposes, you know, this is a good fit because these teams are not complete for the 2018 season yet.
0: Once again, it is Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. When it comes back on the air, Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to catch it each and every week. And as a fantasy football player out there, it's definitely a must. It's going to be available on Apple Podcasts and so many other different audio outlets. Tyler, I got to ask you. Mm -hmm. Are there any other teams that stick out to you? Because I can have mentioned one being the Miami Dolphins. I don't think they have fared so well in free agency. I don't think the trades that they made, giving up Jarvis Landry, even though it was for really, really a nice amount from the the Cleveland Browns, Mm -hmm. I still think that uh, you should have held on to a top-notch receiver like that. And I I just don't think they've been able to – make quite of an impact in free agency that they've wanted to. Is there any other one else that sticks out in your mind as far as team or teams that really just haven't fared so well
3: in this past off season? Nothing out of the Dallas Cowboys. They haven't done anything. Uh, there's a couple of teams that have been kind of quiet. The Pats, they let go of um, Dion Lewis and replaced him with Jeremy Hill. <laughs> huh? They lost Malcolm Butler. So arguably some of their best players have uh, moved on. I think the uh, New York Giants are, they're in a rebuilding phase, but they still want to try to win with Eli Manning. They went out and uh, solidified the running back position with Jonathan Stewart, but that's a team that where are they going? Are they going to go ahead and bite the bullet and rebuild now? Or are they going to you know, try to take advantage of what remaining years Eli Manning has? I don't know. We'll see. Oakland making some interesting moves. We don't know what the Raiders are going to look like. John Gruden coming back into coaching. Who knows? But they signed Jordy Nelson and Doug Martin. I like Jordy Nelson four or five years ago. I like Doug Martin four or five years ago. Not really sure what they're doing there in Oakland. We'll see. So if I had to put the finger on another one, I would probably say, in my opinion, the most, the most intriguing franchise right now has got to be Cleveland getting Tyrod Taylor, Carlos Hyde, and Jarvis Landry. They have the number one and the number four pick in the draft. They have a ton of money. If they're going, they are absolutely poised to completely turn this franchise around. I hope that they take advantage of it because they have a golden opportunity.
0: That's true. And they, they traded those, like I said earlier, draft choices to Miami for Jarvis Landry, but they still got a treasure trove full of of substantial amount of more of draft choices and high quality draft choices at yes. that plus like you said the number one and number four picks in the first round plus they get tyrod taylor who yeah. both you and i thought was a so- very very solid quarterback it could make the cleveland browns very competitive right away
3: absolutely and whether they see him as a long-term solution which i don't think that they do what better stopgap player would you want than Tyrod Taylor, especially the way he played under the pressure that he played last season where they were benching him and they kind of disrespected him and then made him go out and start again. And he handled it like a pro he's not going to put the team on his shoulders and take him to the next level, but he could be a very important piece to getting this franchise to the next level.
0: I agree. I agree. Indeed. Those are some great sound words there from a good friend. It is Tyler Baker from the fantasy football, Pater podcast. One last question before we go, my friend, before we head on out. When it gets back going as far as fantasy football is concerned, why do people need to tune in to your show, the Fantasy
3: Football Pater Podcast? It's quick, concise. I make it that way because I want people to... Just get the information and make their own decisions. I'm not going to tell anyone what to do with their team, but being informed and making informed decisions is the way to win at fantasy football. And what I do is I spend a lot of time looking over articles, watching game film, seeing what these beat writers are saying. And it takes experience to filter through what is just lip service, echo chamber stuff, and really getting down to what are the best decisions to make for your fantasy football team and we also have a facebook group you can go on facebook and type in fantasy football Pater podcast that facebook group is a great way to uh, ask questions i'll post articles up occasionally and of course you can check me out on the pop culture cosmos
0: that you can indeed because not only are you here to talk fantasy football but from time to time you show up yeah. and talk a lot about
3: pop culture I know. I love the show, man. I love being a part of it. And hey, how about Black Panther? We were talking about how that could hit the billion-dollar mark, and it is phenomenal. That movie is on fire. It is. It is. Fifth week in a row, it is domestically
0: the number one movie in America. It is truly doing well. It is now well over $1.1 billion at the box office and you know, well above wow. what even I thought. I thought it would max out at $900 million at the at the most. And I'm pleasantly, pleasantly surprised at its continued success. And I'll tell you what, I already got my tickets, man. Avengers. <laughs> Avengers. War.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You
0: know, it'll help with the sting from losing <laughs> Virginia. Virginia. Thanks a lot. Oh man. <laughs> I know. It's March Madness not only in the NCAA, but also as well, the NFL. Oh yeah. And I'm so glad you got a chance to talk to me about all the great things going on in NFL free agency. Tyler, it's been so great again to having you on the show and as always being a part
2: of the pop culture cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming retro city games
0: and we're back to close out the show this is the pop culture cosmos we want to thank you so much for just enjoying the show and we truly appreciate you listening to us want to thank tyler baker from the fantasy football Pater podcast for joining us also as well rob mccallum from rob for joining us in the cosmic crossfire as well josh before we head on out we talked about it a little bit Two of the biggest games going right now, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, better known as PUBG, and also as well, Fortnite, have hit mobile phones with PUBG going beta on Google Play. And also as well, you've got Fortnite that hit the iOS store. And I'll tell you, it's doing so well. It's already the number one app right now, the number one game and the number one app right now in the Apple Store. So I ask you, my friend, is this going to be a sign of things to come when you've got the hottest video games that you can take from the PC and consoles, what have you, and are able to go ahead and effectively, because by all appearances and from what a lot of the reaction is, that they've done a great job of being able to transfer that experience to the mobile phones and mobile devices. Is this going to be something that, other publishers are going to do as a regular thing going forward
4: i hate to say this because i hate mobile games but i hope so man because there's so many mobile games out there that are just garbage and developers who though it's in small increments they're losing money to some of these people because they don't put these games on a platform that reaches more people like you have a lot of kids who play on their parents iphones or their ipad or something and they're the kids that don't have consoles, you know, and so they're kind of missing a market there by not doing that. So you notice that uh, Square does that, you know, they put out their Final Fantasy things, but they specifically ported uh, Final Fantasy 15 to mobile phones, you know, and they, they had to dumb the graphics down a lot and they took a lot out of the game. But, um, you know, they made the effort. And from what I understand, it's it's selling pretty well. So, uh, yeah, I I hope it's a trend that continues into the future. And I know Fortnite and PUBG, there's a lot going on in these games. So it's knowing how to make the controls accessible without having to open up a bunch of different menus and then have also have to worry about getting shot while you're playing these games. So it also depends on like how long you've been playing. Is your screen dirty or is it cracked or whatever? because the the button sensors get kind of weird around that territory. But yeah, it sounds like they're doing a good job of making all the controls accessible. So I'm, you know, I'd be curious to see like a side by side of someone playing on mobile versus someone playing on a console just to see what the difference is. But from what I understand, like they're, they've done a pretty good job of it. And people are just stoked to be able to play this game on their phones against people on console computer. And that's the important thing. So I think, you know, Time will tell whether, you know, if they did a good job, if people like it. I'm I'm probably not going to play it, but, you know, I'm, I'm interested in following the trend here.
0: Definitely something to think about. Indeed, if you're searching for a great mobile game, you now have got two of the hottest games on the market, PUBG and Fortnite, now actually involved with mobile gaming, which is a great sign for gamers and a bad sign for mobile gaming Industries that had thought they had an exclusive to all their own because I think this is going to definitely set a larger precedent. Like you said, Square Enix has already dabbled with this with the Final Fantasy series, but this is actually taking it up a notch to take two currently hot and I mean super hot games that are actually really scoring well with audiences on PC and consoles to be able to transfer that experience to mobile devices and not in the latter stages of popularity or anything of that nature, do it while it's really hot. And to focus that and to do it actually well is something special. And I think everybody should at least give that a try. Fortnite for iOS devices and also PUBG for Android devices while you get a chance because it's definitely something special. And I actually can see a lot more companies doing this down the road to to reach what many thought was an untapped market. Let us know what your thoughts are on these games being on a mobile platform. You know, let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. So, Josh, any last thoughts before we head on out?
4: Oh, yeah. If you're uh, in the market for some games, there's uh, a lot of good deals going on at a lot of different stores this week. So, off the top of my head, I know Target is doing a buy one, get one half off on any game in the store, but just remember that the one at the lower price is what you're going to get for the half off. Walmart has a lot of uh, $60 games being sold for 50% off and GameStop is doing a similar sale. So if you're in the market for some games and you need something to hold you over till, you know, those sweet, sweet announcements come out at E3, definitely be uh, checking them out, man.
0: And as unfortunate for me to say this as I will, I will say it anyways, Toys R Us, as we reported on last week, is uh, actually meeting its demise as an, as an entity. For consumers out there, that does mean clearance sales that are on the horizon. They haven't, as of this recording, released any plans, but keep an eye on Toys R Us on social media to keep in touch with exactly what Toys R Us is doing as far as how it's going to be breaking down as far as clearances in all their stores. Because if you jump on an You'll be able to get some really good deals, and at least in a bad situation for Toys R Us, at least we can go ahead and make some some people and some folks out there, you know, a little bit happy in its stead. And hopefully, the word of Toys R Us, as memories spread for for some time to come, and Toys R Us will hopefully not be forgotten anytime soon. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast.
2: This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the T Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
4: Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now.
3: So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts
4: are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hello?
0: Hello? Hey! Who's interrupting my intro? Is this a joke? This is no joke, kid. This is the Earth Station DCU Podcast.
4: No closing anybody. Sick
0: of We're not that kind of podcast, kid. We talk DC news, comics, movies, and television. You gotta do better than that. We reviewed Supergirl, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Arrow every week. That bet. fact, how much do I owe you? You don't owe us anything. The podcast is free.
1: Oh, it's just, I just heard this story in the cab, and it is all I can think
0: about. We are part of the ESO network. This is amazing. Why, thank you. And join us every week for another edition of the Earth Station DCU. Now, can we get back to the show, please?
1: Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Cubby Hole Podcast. My name is Jason Dutch. I am your host. Thank you for checking out the program. So for today, those of you who tuned in to hear about the latest Cubs news, sorry, but this is not that show today. We are going to be focusing for today's show on fantasy baseball. So obviously there will be some de facto Cubs talk as we talk about top Cubs fantasy baseball prospects such as you know Rizzo and Bryant and you know all of the guys that you would be drafting from the team for your fantasy team but for the most part this episode is going to be focusing on fantasy baseball and for today's show I have a good friend and a special guest Gerald Glassford from the pop culture cosmos was kind enough to join me today hello Gerald how are you my friend how are you sir I'm well, thank you. I uh, appreciate
0: you uh, letting me on the show and talking some fantasy baseball. I'm looking forward to another great season and seeing all my picks that <laughs> would normally be very well off in other years fall by the wayside due to injuries or something extraneous or something <laughs> like that. You, know, yeah, you, 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 you pick your teams and you you got everything straightened down, everything looks good or whatnot, but it's also about As with all fantasy sports, over the course of the season where you play fantasy football, where you play fantasy basketball, uh, hockey, like like I I do with all the other sports as well, it's also a focus of when the team that you plan out and draft starts to go awry with injuries, trades, uh, demotions, what have you, to pick up and and see those or those waiver wire gets that that you can see ahead of everybody else and going ahead and and make those moves or the trades that you might find that are that are going to be the best thing to help your team.
1: Absolutely, Gerald, and I appreciate that. So so let's start with a little bit of that talk on today's show before we get into the position. So for the listener, the way that we're going to break this down is for the first segment, we're going to talk about draft strategy and then we're going to move into each respective uh, alignment of positions so we're going to start with probably pitchers and starting pitchers then move into infielders outfielders and then we'll close the show with relief pitchers and catchers which is probably the uh, well depending on how your league is set up it usually is the least important but of course still important so, with that being said, let's start out the show with talking a little bit about draft strategy, different approaches. Now, for this show, we are going to focus more or less on head-to-head. So, if you're doing rotisserie, you'll probably be able to get some insight here, but we're going to do this show based on on head-to-head. I'm personally, I'm not a fan of rotisserie with baseball, even though that's how I started playing fantasy baseball with, was with Roto. Uh, in fact, it, it was a really simple. We, all we did was RBIs and home runs, and I want to say wins and saves is the only thing that I did for about 13 years, my first 13 years of playing fantasy baseball, which started back in around 1997. But then around 2009, 2010, we started doing everything head-to-head, and that's really, I think, the way that most people play fantasy baseball these days. So for this show, we are going to focus on the head-to-head format, where you would be playing someone every week in a one-week matchup, similar to what you would do. With fantasy football, so uh, we're also going to assume for this particular program that outfield is as one. Though I do know that a lot of leagues, like one of the leagues that I am in, will break down those outfield positions to say left field, center field, and right field, and give you a little bit more restraint there. But I know that most leagues don't do it that way. You'll they'll just allow you to select three specific outfielders. So I'll try to keep it a little bit broader for to to help out those who do slightly different formats. Uh, And the last thing that I will say is as far as scoring systems go, uh, I am going to be using the, I I don't know what scoring system Gerald has up in front of him. Uh, I personally have the CBS scoring system up, which I find to be the most accurate. It is extremely similar for those who are, might say, oh, well, I don't know anything about CBS. I have compared these. Okay. So trust me, it is almost identical to ESPN and it's slightly different from Yahoo, but if you're playing fantasy baseball on Yahoo, you should probably, in my opinion, uh, think about switching that one because I find Yahoo to suck for fantasy baseball. ESPN and CBS, for me, are the two sites that I think uh, give you the user the, the cleanest experience. So when it comes to draft strategies, Gerald, do you have a particular strategy that you look at? Uh, what I'd like you to do is take a minute or two for the listener, because I know everybody usually has their own perspective or what they think is comfortable When it comes to when you sit down for a draft, do you have a line of attack or a specific strategy that you have maybe tried and switched around over the years that you think works for you? Uh, Yeah, actually, I do. I I go for average first.
0: Batting average to me is very, very important. And the second thing I go for, as far as for pitching is concerned, I go for a lot of strikeouts. Uh, Those are two other barometers usually for me, because when you're going as far as a high batting average or a high amount of strikeouts you're usually going to get yourself an effective player that for all intents and purposes is actually going to stay in the lineup pretty much day in day out or going to be available more times than not as far as if they're going to the mound so those are the two things i look for the most a high strikeout ratio plus also as well a high batting average at each position then I go and break it down with you know, home runs, RBIs, things of that nature. But uh, injury history also comes into play as far as it's concerned. If somebody is coming back from a surgery or somebody is coming uh, you know, back from an injury that is has constantly on, been on the injured list, that's somebody I might shy away from even if they have great numbers and even if they're poised to, to have great numbers during the season because reliability
1: to me is, is probably a very, very important thing as well. I can't disagree with that at all. Um, one thing I will ask you, though, is when it comes to sitting down and looking at positions, do you have any particular positions that you try to target early on? Yes. Uh, infielders, I usually go for first as
0: far as from a positional standpoint, because I find that the more populous uh, as far as successful Batters out there seem to be in the outfield, or you usually you be able to fill out your roster including a DH if you have it in your. Oh league, yeah, yeah. Uh, with 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 outfielders and whatnot, but infielders sometimes, especially second base and shortstop, seem to be a harder get in the later rounds as far as someone of quality. So there, that is a is a you know some some place I target catchers uh as you know jason there's very small amount of catchers that are actually yeah, proficient yeah sometimes like year two in the league. <laughs> yeah so it's it's that's always a uh a, you know get yeah, that's a, that's always a a mix or match type deal so people pretty much everybody forgets about catchers including myself but that those that's what i target as far as in the uh Uh, as far as the top players are concerned, unless somebody like a Mike Trout or a, uh, you know, a really top outfielder is like available to me within the first five picks uh, as far as, okay, let's say my pick number three overall. I mean, I got to go for whoever the top player is at that point in time, but if you're second, third and fourth rounds, you got to start focusing on that infield would probably be my best suggestion to start off. And then when your pick comes to pitchers, you got to target those pitchers that have uh, real consistency as far as being in the lineup and and a number of games that they pitch each and every
1: year. All right, so that's pretty similar to, I think, the way that a lot of people approach drafts. Now, the way that I do it is it's similar, Gerald, but it's a little bit different. And I started doing this about three years ago because what I found was interesting with – my football leagues and this is the way that I drafted in football and I always did a completely different style of draft for baseball but what I started doing in football about three years ago is I started tiering people and I know that this is actually a lot more commonplace now other people have caught on to it um and basically what that means is I'll look at say let's just go back into old school football to draw an analogy here so that it makes sense uh you know you back in say eight, nine years ago, you would have your super stud wide receivers like your Calvin Johnsons and your Randy Mosses. And then you'd have your next tier of guys, you know, maybe like your um, TJ Houshmanzadas and and, and those sort of players. And I would say, okay, I want to have two stud receivers and one everyday, you know, one really good receiver. And in baseball, it, it equates very similarly. You might have a super stud like, you know, an Anthony Rizzo or a Paul Goldschmidt or a Mike Trout that you have at a certain position. And then you sort of tier those into the next tier and the tier after that. And if you can go through your lineup and you can go through your draft and you can target it so that you can get what you would define as a top tier player at each position, obviously you're going to probably win your league. But obviously the other people in your league are going to keep you from trying to do that. So you want to really not try to fall below what you would have as your own personal third tier unless it comes to a guy like... For example, a guy like Ben Zolbrist, who obviously is probably not going to be a big fantasy pick this year, but he's a Cub, and this is a Cubs podcast, so we'll use him as an example. But for Ben Zolbrist a few years back, he was a guy who had, and Eduardo Nunez from the Giants a couple years ago was a similar example, he would have eligibility at multiple positions, second base, third base, right field, left field, outfield, and these are guys where if there is an injury, I would usually like to try to keep one of those guys who had multiple eligibility on my bench. God, I can't remember this guy's name, but there was a guy who played for Boston, I want to say two seasons ago, who was eligible at every position except for catcher and pitcher. So I had him on my roster because of the – even though he really wasn't that great of a player, but he took up – it was like having five people on my bench with only taking up one bench spot. So those are the things that I look for. Obviously, multiple position eligibility is big, but what I will caution people on is don't draft somebody because they have multiple position eligibility, just because they have multiple position eligibility, you obviously want to draft the guy who's going to score you the most points and who's going to not uh, be, be susceptible as much to injury. If you've got a guy like, again, to use a Cubs reference, a guy like a Kerry Wood or a Mark Pryor, you know that they were very talented back in the day, but you also knew that you probably weren't going to get a full season out of these guys, so those guys you're obviously going to try to keep off of your draft board unless they fall in your hands for a really, really reasonable price. So um, lastly, I'll close out this particular uh, part of it, and then I'll get Gerald's feedback uh, as far as positions go. Now, when it comes to sort of your, and every year it's different. Last year it was more of shortstop, was a little bit of a drier position, and catcher, of course, always was a dry position. So I would always kind of spend a little bit early and get a guy like Mike Posey. uh, Or last year with shortstop, I took Trey Turner because I knew he was going to have eligibility at shortstop and at second base. And so I took him very, very early because I wanted to have that flexibility. Obviously, Trey Turner ended up getting hurt and pretty much sank my entire season. But I, I try to identify a couple of those positions where I'll look at it and I'll say, okay, you've only really got three good really, really star players at this particular position, and even though player X may not really be uh, a guy who's going to score in the top 15 in points, because of the fact that the other options at that position are very low or or not desirable, at least the ones that we know about, there's always sleepers, that I would go and I would spend uh, an earlier pick on on a player like a Buster Posey because I just wanted to have that super stud uh, in that particular weak position now sometimes that'll work out and sometimes it won't but what are your thoughts on on that particular type of strategy oh that's very sound that's very sound indeed and
0: and that's something that may deviate from the norm enough to to give you that edge as far as when you're drafting initially but it also comes down to how you're managing the team over the course of the year as well and and like i said earlier that, if you're not focused enough during the course of the season, even if you're playing rotisserie and you're not checking in with it once a week, twice a week, or, or even uh, three or four times a month, you're not going to be able to get the maximum amount from the team You know, as far as making those small little tweaks, changes putting in reserves, checking out the waiver wire, what have you. But that's actually a very, very sound process indeed. And and that's something I think a lot of people need to pay attention to if they want to try
1: a little bit something different from the norm. Just one quick thought I'd like to hear from you. When it comes to the amount of starting pitchers and the amount of relief pitchers that you have on a roster, what do you think, and this is for maybe those commissioners who are trying at the last minute to... This, you know, and talking with their with their league members about how many of these guys they have. Do you have an ideal that you think works for a league as far as like maybe three starters, three relievers, four starters, one reliever? I actually like to go to a full rotation where it comes
0: to a full five or six man pitching roster. Oh, okay. Uh, as far as starting pitching is concerned, and then actually go with it like a two or three man relief pitcher. It it makes it feel more authentic than if you go just a short starting pitcher type deal plus it also puts an impetus on those individuals that are running teams to make sure they're making the right selections and not uh, and doing more investigation and more thorough uh, thought process when it comes to selecting those pitchers because the back end of the rotation becomes key as far as success for your actual team I, I like I say I'd I like to st- a large uh, amount of player roster to manage and just similar to what you would see on a regular Major League Baseball team.
1: Okay, well, you know, as far as those of us who play Dynasty Leagues, I think that that's, uh, you know, you kind of want your fantasy team to emulate real life. So I agree with that there. I personally am a fan of a few less pitchers. I think the, I think the four starters, maybe five starters, but one relief pitcher, you know, either four and two or five and, and one, are the way to go, but five and one, five and one is okay. I can hang with that or five and two that something
0: that, that, you know, it's not reliant on just a, a one or two pitchers to carry your are
1: team. Are you a fan of using, um, and, and this is more of just curiosity. Are you a fan of, uh, of allowing, let's say that you have five starting positions, five starting pitcher positions and one relief pitcher position on your roster. Are you, in, are you in favor of letting team managers use, A pitcher who may have relief pitcher eligibility but is a starting pitcher to use them in that in that reliever spot i'm not in favor because i think it becomes into kind of gimmicky kind of gray area
0: if it's not cut and dry for me i don't know i have an issue with it because when you're talking about uh, trying to make a gray area or even a small amount of gray area in your league then what happens is you'll have someone in that league trying to exploit it and trying to make it beneficial for them and them alone.
1: Fair enough. What about what about can't drop lists? Are you a fan of those? No, neither I am I. Kind of I think it's the list. stupidest thing.
0: I, I mean, I have it in every league that I'm a part of, and and I understand that there's they
1: sort there's of force it on you. Players that are not.
0: Well, I think that's because there's been so many years initially because of people making trades that were helping their friends or whatnot. And that's uh, that's understandable. Right. So they, you know, they imposed those can't drop people. But if that can't drop person is gone for the season, you're he's stuck on your roster. and you're yeah, Until also filling up a reserve until the spot. Until ESPN
1: catches up to it.
0: Yeah. You know, exactly. and,
1: and obviously, eventually, they'll probably say, okay, well, we're going to take off the can't cut list on this particular guy. But if Mike Trout, especially if you're playing in a daily league, and if if you have Mike Trout and he breaks his leg and you know he's going to be out for seven months but it takes don't say that I'm an angels fan (laughs) but but if you take uh you know if it takes ESPN three days for him to drop off that can't cut list it could really really hamper you picking up a guy that you that's on the waiver wire that you want to pick up to fill that slot because it won't let you drop Mike Trout so it's it I'm not a huge fan of that but with injuries being being discussed here let's close off this particular session Uh, and get into the positions right after this last comment from Gerald. How much emphasis do you put on injury-prone guys? Do you throw that to the wayside, or do you say, you know what, this guy has a history of getting hurt, so I'm just going to avoid him altogether?
0: If I'm doing research and more than two injuries pop up on a guy, I'm going to be very hesitant uh, to get that individual, unless it's someone who has shown at least two years of health, I mean, let's say early in their career, they blew out a knee or they they hurt an elbow or they needed rotator cuff surgery at the early part of their career, but have shown all-star level play or at least very solid play in the past two, three seasons. Well, that tells me that I'm a little bit more at ease as far as selecting that individual because they have shown good health and that they seem to be on the right path as far as being able to be a quality player for your team. You echo exactly
1: what I would have said.
0: For more, check out the Cubbyhole Podcast today on Apple Podcasts.